what do you need to live your best life? Maybe you already have an idea about what it would take for you. Would you put that in the chat right now? We'd love to hear from you. But throughout this video, we're gonna hear from the God who made us about what he thinks it takes for us to live our best lives. You won't wanna miss it. Hi, my name is Nathan and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. Welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. We're an online group who know that life can be confusing and the difficult times we are all living in don't make it any easier. But we have found that life with Jesus makes our life easier and full of rest. And we wanna help you find all that God has in store for you. Because no matter what you think about God, we believe he can't stop thinking about you. He is for you and only has good things for your life. And so we want you to join our community here to find the good and pleasing life Jesus wants for you by following his central command to love everyone always. Throughout our video message, you'll see a number on the screen. If at any point you feel like reaching out to someone to talk about taking a next step with God or with our community, go ahead and text that number. It will go directly to our speaker and they will get back with you as soon as they're able. But the best way to get more involved in our community is just by saying, hello. Take a moment right now to join in our live chat or if you're watching on demand, leave a comment to join in the conversation. And if you've never joined in our chat before, we're so excited to hear from you that we wanna offer you a free $10 Grubhub gift card just for commenting for the very first time. All you need to do is leave a first time chat with the words, I love free food, and we'll send you a Grubhub gift card for free. It's that easy. And if you're not watching on a live stream right now, we got you covered too. Just text the words, I love free food to the number at the top of the screen, and we'll make sure you get your gift card. I hope this is something you'll take advantage of because we're so excited that you're here and we can't wait to hear from you. We'll be getting started with our main idea for today, but we want you to keep chatting. And as you do that, let's go ahead and watch this together. You wanna know who I really hate? And yeah, I know what you're thinking. Hate's such a strong word, and isn't this guy supposed to be a pastor? I thought that was like against the code or something. And you're right, hate is a strong word. So let me put it this way. You wanna know who I really have a hard time not hating? The people I just can't help but wanna see bad things happen to them? The people I would like to do bad things to? And see, now you're really intrigued, aren't you? Who are these awful people that I just can't stand, right? Well, I'll tell you, it's the people who mistreat one of my kids. And I'll bet many of you just said, oh yeah, that's right, I get that. Especially if you've got kids. Well, I've got two daughters, ages 17 and 14. And I have honestly been astonished at myself over the years at just how much anger has boiled up inside of me when someone disrespected or upset or mistreated one of my girls. Like a coach who blamed my daughter for something she didn't do. A boss who treated her unfairly just to prove a point. But I tell you the worst, and this is a little embarrassing for me, I'll admit, it's their friends. 
Now, I grew up in a house with two boys, and all that time, I thought boys were mean. But I'm telling you, boys are nothing compared to girls. <laughs> girls can be ruthless. But like I said, I've been amazed at how angry I've gotten at these little 8, 10, 12-year-old girls who make fun of my kid, or they gossip about her, or intentionally leave her out for no reason other than to just be mean. So the truth about me is pretty obvious. If you mess with my kids, it's like you're messing with me. But you know, the opposite is also true. There's no better way to get on my good side than to do something good for one of my girls. If you honor my girls or brag on them or support them or do something to build them up, help them achieve, then you and me, we are good. I instantly become your biggest fan. But if you mistreat my girls, then it really doesn't matter what else you do for me. There's really nothing you can do that will make up for that and get you back on my good side. You can buy me gifts, give me money. You could even sing songs to me and praise my holy name. <laughs> really doesn't make a difference as long as you're hurting or disrespecting my children. Now, there's a reason I bring that up because it illustrates what I want us to talk about today. But before we go any further, let me introduce myself if you're new to our community. My name's Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here at Community Christian. And I hope you realize that this experience today doesn't have to be just about me talking and you listening. You can reach out at any time to the people gathered here in our live chat, or you can reach out to me. All you have to do is just text the number on the screen, and I'll respond as soon as I can. Let me know if you need something, or if you have a question or a comment, even if you disagree with something that I say. That's okay. I really would love to hear from you and start a conversation. So for the past few weeks, we've been discussing a statement made by Jesus and the difference that following his command makes in our lives and in the world around us. And about how this way of life that Jesus introduces can take the broken pieces of life and bring them back together again to a life that's whole and complete and filled with peace. Once Jesus was asked, what's the most important command to follow? And here was his answer. The most important one Jesus answered is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And in our last few times together, we've explored exactly what it means to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And I don't have time to recap everything that we've learned up to now. So if you missed those discussions, you can catch up on our YouTube channel or the sermons page on our website. We keep all these messages archived there so you can watch or listen on demand anytime. But today, I want to focus on what Jesus said right after making this statement. He said, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the most important commandment to follow. And then Jesus followed it by saying this. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, the way Jesus phrases these two commandments has led a lot of people to believe that what Jesus is doing is he's ranking them in order of importance. In other words, loving God is the number one commandment, the ultimate thing that is the most important. And then once you've figured that out, once you've learned to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then loving people should be next on the list. It's like these are two separate commandments, ranked number one and number two. See, I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to say at all. 
For one thing, if you take Jesus to mean it that way, then he's actually not answering the question that was posed to him. Remember, the question was, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Not, Jesus, what's the top two? So why would Jesus answer the question and then throw in another commandment? Did he misunderstand the question? Did he not hear it clearly? I don't think so. I think Jesus has a very good reason for his answer. See, I think Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. And I think he's answering the question perfectly. Especially because of the very last thing Jesus said. Notice, after giving the two commandments to love God and to love people, Jesus says, there is no commandment greater than these. Meaning, this is not a top two list. Nothing comes before either one of these. Both of these commandments are at the top of the list because they are both equal and not just equally important, but literally equal. In fact, what Jesus is trying to tell his followers is that these two commandments are actually one and the same. The way that you and I love God is by loving people. What it means to love God heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love your neighbor as yourself. And in the end, it's the most important thing you can do with your life. It's what matters most to God. And it's what brings the broken pieces of your life and the broken pieces of our world back together into peace and wholeness. As we remind ourselves of our responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're gonna pray some words of scripture together. As we do, read the words in bold out loud. Let's pray. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Father, you have made clear to us that the only thing that matters in this life is how we love. Would you speak to us now and reveal to each of us what we have allowed to become more important in our lives than love? Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. Let's continue to pray these words of scripture together. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Father, once again, speak to us and show us what we could do today to live in such a way that we reflect your love to others. Which of these traits do we need more of in our lives? Speak, Lord, your children are listening.
Father, help us to become people formed in your image, creating us a heart of love for all people. And let that love lead us in every moment to live as you lived among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, maybe you're a little skeptical about this idea that these two commands to love God and love people are equal. And I get that. I was once pretty skeptical too. And I think it's mainly because of the way most of us have been taught about the way religion works. See, in a typical religious system, there's God and there's me. And God's got all these rules and standards that he wants me to live by. There are lots of prayers to pray, services to attend, and sacrifices to make. And if I do it all, then God stays happy with me, and He and I are good. It's mostly what I like to refer to as a vertical relationship. It's all about me and God and our relationship staying on good terms. And mostly, that involves me doing lots of religious stuff to keep God happy. And that's how most people in Jesus' day thought about God and religion, too until Jesus came along. And all of a sudden, Jesus began introducing something brand new. He made statements that challenged this vertical approach to a relationship with God. For instance, one time Jesus said this. He said, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now let's be clear about what Jesus is saying here. Presenting a sacrifice on an altar in the temple was a religious practice, and it was specifically meant to get your sins forgiven and put your relationship with God right again. This is what you did if you wanted to make God happy, to make the vertical relationship good. But what Jesus is saying is that there is something even more important than that. It's not just the vertical relationship you have with God, but the horizontal relationship you have with the people around you. In fact, it's so important that if things aren't right between you and another human being, you should forget about God and the religious stuff until you've made things right with that person. It seems like Jesus is saying that your love and your relationship with God is so intertwined with your relationships with people that they cannot be separated. And this was a revolutionary idea when Jesus first introduced it. And maybe it's a little bit revolutionary to our ears as well. I'll put it this way. Have you ever felt more guilty about missing church than you did about insulting or getting angry with someone? You ever felt more guilt over not praying than you did over gossiping about another person? You ever felt more pull toward a religious tradition than you did toward meeting the needs of the people in your community. I'll admit it, I have. I've felt that a lot. And see, for many of us, our consciences, they've been trained to prioritize the vertical over the horizontal. We separate our relationship with God from our relationships with people. And Jesus is just saying, you got it all backwards. The two are connected. Now listen, I don't know what you believe about God or religion. But I know a lot of people that have walked away from it all because people within the religion got this part wrong. They prioritized their religion over you or someone you loved. They prioritized a ritual or a rule over a person and it just didn't make sense to you. 
It seemed that a religion or a relationship with God that was maintained at the expense of another person wasn't very much of a religion that you wanted anything to do with. And if you've ever felt that way, I just want to say to you, Jesus agrees with you. This was what he modeled. It's what he taught. And if anyone places religion or ritual or anything else over the love and well-being of people, then they're not following the way of Jesus. So maybe, maybe you walked away from Jesus prematurely. And maybe it's worth giving Jesus another consideration. And listen, if you want, you can share your experience or your thoughts with me. Just text me and I would, I would really love to hear them. But it's always been baffling to me how so many Christians, and that's myself included, how we get this wrong. We just somehow forget what Jesus introduced into the world when he revealed to us what God thinks, what God feels, what matters most to God. And it's very simple. God says, the way you love my kids is the way that you love me. Whatever you do for the people I created in my own image, you do for me. Jesus said this plainly in a very familiar, often quoted part of the Bible. But again, we often just read past it casually and we miss how serious Jesus was about this. Jesus could not have been more clear. He said, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, now that phrase, Son of Man, that was a title that Jesus used to refer to himself. So this is about him. In fact, in just a moment, Jesus is gonna to refer to himself as King. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And by the way, this is not a made up story he's, he's telling here. He's telling us what's coming at some point in the future. Jesus is telling us what distinguishes people who do what pleases God from those who don't. He's defining what God cares about or what determines a right relationship with God. That vertical relationship that we all seem to care so much about. Well, this is it right here. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. No, 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 hold on, wait a minute. Jesus, you're the king. In fact, you're God. How does God get hungry? He says, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Again, how does God get thirsty? I don't remember giving God food and water. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. God, in prison? God getting sick? What is he saying? This makes no sense. And then these righteous ones, Jesus says, they're gonna reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Because here's the truth, God, right up until now, we've never seen you before. Or thirsty and give you something to drink. Or a stranger and show you hospitality. Or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in person and visit you? In other words, they will say, God, how could any of us do all these things that you say that we did when the truth is we've never laid eyes on you until this moment right here? And then the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. 
So in a far more intense, more infinite kind of way, God feels a lot like I do. And he feels a lot like you do. If you honor, if you help, if you serve, if you love my kids, then you and me, we're good. There's nothing better you can do for me than to love my children. And according to Jesus, the opposite is also true. The worst thing you can do, the one thing that will put you at odds with God is when you harm or dishonor or refuse to love his kids because Jesus goes on and he says this. Then the king will turn to those on the left and he'll say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his, his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they're gonna reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer. I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. See, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and in what he did by dying on the cross as a sacrifice to forgive your sins, then the vertical relationship between you and God, that is a done deal. God no longer counts your sins against you. And no amount of church going, no amount of praying, no amount of religious ritual will ever change that. Nothing you can do will make God love you more. So if you truly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will care about what God cares about. And what God cares about most is people. Which people? All people, but especially those who are marginalized, those who are in trouble, those who are oppressed, who are in need. Your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. The moment when the love of God was most clearly seen was when Jesus went to the cross to reconcile all people back to God. While we were still enemies of God, Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life for us, setting an example that we should follow with the people in our lives who we find to be unlovable. Every week we remember the love of God and our responsibility to love others in the way Jesus asked us to, by taking the emblems of bread and juice to remember his body and blood given for us. We call this time communion. And if you're gonna be receiving communion today, you can use whatever things you have on hand. It can be a piece of bread or a cracker for the body of Jesus or a cup of juice or even water to remember his blood. But if you're here today and you're not sure you believe all we do, I wanna encourage you to use this time to reflect on all you've heard so far. Is it possible that there's a God who loves you enough that he would die for you? Could the best life possible be found in loving others as he has loved you? Maybe use this time to reach out to him in prayer or reach out to us by texting the number on screen. I know God would love to hear from you. We would as well. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, let's take the bread. This is the body of Jesus given for you to forgive your sins and offer you the gift of new life. Let's eat and remember. And now the cup. This is the blood of Jesus poured out in the greatest act of love. Let's drink and remember.
For it's when we eat this bread and drink this cup that we declare the power of God's love over the darkness in our world. Amen. On the night before his death, Jesus was with his closest friends, and he gives them one of those talks that's kind of like the, if you forget everything else I've said, please remember this one thing kind of talk. And remember, these followers of Jesus, they'd already heard him say the thing about the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. So now Jesus says, I'm gonna leave you with just one command. But wait, Jesus, I, I, I thought you said there were two. I know what I said but we're gonna go from two to just one. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, to which all of them would have said, but Jesus, that's not new. And Jesus would say, but I'm not through, there's more. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And with that one single command, Jesus summed up everything for his followers. And you have to admit, this is way less complicated than any religious system you've probably ever encountered. But it was the one command that guided Jesus' first followers to completely revolutionize their culture and ultimately change the world. The Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' earliest followers, a guy who had memorized and taught the entire Jewish religious law that consisted of over 600 commands, would write these words. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like seriously? The whole law? Are you sure about that, Paul? Is it really that simple? And he would say absolutely it is. Because in another place, in that same letter, Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Later on, Paul would even say this, he would say, look, you can be the smartest person in the room. You can be the most spiritual. You can have the most eloquent words. You can even sacrifice everything that you own. But if you miss the one command to love, you've missed the whole thing. You've missed the way of Jesus. It really is that simple. But while Jesus' model is simple, it is far more challenging. Because think about this. When Jesus left his followers with that one single command, love one another in the same way that I have loved you, Jesus didn't leave them with some fuzzy picture of what that looked like. When they thought back on Jesus' words, there was no question in their mind about what that kind of love looks like. Because on the very same night that Jesus spoke those words, he had just finished washing the feet of his disciples. And right after he spoke those words, Jesus would give his very life away to save all of them. So when Jesus told them, love like I love you, it wasn't some weak, emotional, passive kind of love. It was a love that was a completely selfless and sacrificial love. And Jesus said, now you go and you love people like that. Because when you do, you're loving God. This is the one and only thing that really matters to him. It's the one thing that brings all the pieces together. It's the one thing that brings you and me and the entire world around us peace. So can you just imagine for a moment what your life would be like if you followed Jesus' one command? Can you imagine what our world would be like if everyone took Jesus seriously and just did this one thing? 
And listen, I know it sounds pretty naive and maybe a little bit oversimplified. But what if it's true? What if it really is that simple and that challenging? Well, there's a question that I want to challenge you to live with for at least the next seven days, but hopefully it could be a question that guides you for the rest of your life. It's the question at the heart of Jesus' one command, and it's a question that I think we all know the answer to in nearly every situation that we find ourselves in. The question is this, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Regardless of the circumstance you're in or the person you're speaking with, or the people that surround you, what if you were to just ask that question and then whatever you found to be the answer, you just did that. When you're at your workplace or you're sitting in class or you're walking down the hallway, when you're at the store picking up your groceries, when you're seated around the dinner table, when you're lonely or hurt, frustrated, angry, or treated unfairly, when you're happy, you're excited, or you're just feeling overly blessed, in that moment, whatever it is, what does love require of you? And what if you followed the way of Jesus and you just did that? What if you loved the people around you in the same way that he has loved you, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences? See, this is what it means to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Your love for God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. Now, while you think about how to do that in your own life and your own situation, I want you to listen to the words of this next song. And at some point, I hope you'll begin to sing the words yourself because this song, it really is a prayer. Now, the song starts by us singing about the nature and the character of God, which is the vertical relationship that we've talked about today. But then it becomes a prayer asking God to lead your life in the way of love for the people around you. That's the horizontal relationships. It's the way we love God. It's the way we treat, it's the way we love and treat God's children, which again is what God cares about most. So as you listen and as you sing, allow this song to speak to you and inspire you today. Oh uh-huh. 
The path to your best life begins and ends with love. God not only made us to be loved by Him, but for us to love others just as He loves us. And we believe that the best way for us to practice loving others like Jesus is in a community where we're committed to others even when they're unlovable. Well, we can help you with that. We'd love to help you get connected to our community where you can practice loving everyone always. The first step is visiting us on our website at cccanywhere.com and look through the resources you'll find there. There's content created specifically for your children so they can also begin connecting with the God who loves them. You'll also find ways you can support our church financially if you feel led to do so, not because we need your money, but because supporting the body of Jesus means that sometimes we need to give back some of what we have been given to care for and to serve others. But the best next step into our community is joining our Facebook community so you can connect with us throughout the week. While you're visiting us on cccanywhere.com, click on the card that says, join our Facebook group. You'll be redirected right to our Community Christian Anywhere Facebook group where you can then click the Join Group button. I hope you'll do that because I hope this isn't your last interaction with us. We're going to leave our chat open for about five minutes after this video ends, and I hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity to connect with others before you leave. I hope you have an amazing week, and remember, no matter what you think about God, we believe He can't stop thinking about you.